Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When you look at the IEP method, there's three parts to it. The first thing is your ability to reboot your presence in the moment with what, no, no matter what's going on. So it's just, this is something that's happening all the time. So rebooting your presence right now. Um, so even right now, just for you and I, let's just say one of us kind of check out or I've got to regroup to think about that question and I find myself going into my head to find the answer. I still have to reboot, come back and then be fully present with you again. So that, that part of presence, like being able to be present in the moment is happening over and over and over again. And I find that the more you practice, it, it's like a muscle, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So first part is rebooting your presence. The second part is the ability to create intentional impact. Which, which is a huge piece, and I'm happy to give you the framework on it if it's helpful on this yeah, call. But absolutely. you know that, that it's a five-piece framework, and so the idea is that we're always creating impact. If I go out on stage on this, you know, our interaction here, if I'm working with my team, if I'm working with my kids, if I'm having a conversation with my partner, there I'm always creating impact, and the impact is either going to move us forward and be positive, or it's going to uh, maybe move us back, make a little bit more of a mess. Or it's going to be just kind of beige, which who wants beige? I mean, sometimes beige is great, but, you know, I, I'd rather be creating impact that's joyful and life-giving and forward-moving. Um, so so there's that. And so you can use this five-step framework to actually get really intentional about how you're showing up and then what is the communication that's happening on the other side. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Anise, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So, you know, you and I were just talking about um, how I actually came across your work, which I can't even recall. All I remember <laughs> is that I stumbled up on your website and looked through it. And I thought to myself, yes, this is absolutely fascinating. I'm very curious about this. And you went on my list of potential guests. You know, and so I want to start with a question that I uh, have found has always been really fun with people who study human behavior. And that is what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact has that had on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? <laughs> That's such a good question. I love your questions. I've heard I've heard some of your entry questions with other <laughs> guests. I, I always I always curious which ones you're going to ask. Um, so for me, social groups. So I was I, I actually could not say I was any part of any one particular clique. Right. I kind of 
um, have found even as an adult now, I have an allergic reaction to being a part of different cliques. And so I think going through, um, gosh, even the, the earliest recollection I can think of is back to like the sixth grade, you know, going into junior high, going into high school, I kind of went wherever I felt like I wanted to hang out at that point, like at that point in my life, at the point in the day and the point in the week. So I hung out with everyone from in high school. I'm thinking like drill team to band to the really, really smart people to the chemistry people. Like I didn't, there wasn't a, there wasn't a set group. I think that my um, closest friends, I always had my closest circle was always probably like, you know, four or five really, really good friends that I hung out with. I always had a lot better guy friends and girlfriends when I was younger. Uh Um, And, you know, and that, and that has kind of continued as I've gotten older. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of different relationships with men and women from different industries and, and, you know, so I think how did that inform my, um, like what, how did that inform how I show up now? I I think it's given me the ability to just appreciate whoever's with me in that moment and Uh to really, um, nourish and love whatever it is that they're up to and who they're being in that moment. And that's more fun for me than planning it out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what, um, particular lessons in human behavior you took from each group that you were part of and also uh, that ability to navigate multiple social groups. I'm curious how that's cultivated and developed. Mm. Mm. I think the thing, this, this importance that every human being has to belong. I, and I see this now with my work, whether I'm working with an executive or a CEO or a teacher or someone in the Navy, I think every single human being has the absolute need, the intrinsic desire to belong and to have tribe. Um, I think that the more authentic people can be in that tribe, the more, ironically, the more they fit into it, which which sounds kind of funny because you know I have a sixth grade little girl right now um, who's going through social cliques and yeah. mean girl stuff and everything. And I, <laughs> you know, and then I always say to her, oh, honey, just, just be yourself. She's mom, IEP does, or, you know, this work doesn't work for sixth graders. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, so it's interesting. So as I'm listening to your question, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm listening in two different ways, but personally, I guess what I would say is no matter who I'm in a room with, no matter who I'm engaged with personally, no matter who I'm working with it, this idea around just bringing your real self to the table uh-huh. um, is actually the thing that I find allows the breath in the air, like it allows a relaxation there so that people can actually engage more more truly and develop better relationships. And so, yeah, I guess I would say the combination of belonging, being a part of a tribe, and also having that space. Here's what it is. Having the space to bring who you truly are to the table, that's the most valuable gift you can give another person. So that that's that's what I would, how I'd answer that question in a very messy way. Wow. You know, it's interesting. I'm so glad that you brought up a daughter in sixth grade. And um, I, you know, I I remember, you know, the the experience of being a teenager. I wouldn't wish that up on anybody. It was absolute hell. It it was, you know, you you feel like angst ridden. Your parents are the most awful people on the planet all of a sudden. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember moments when I was embarrassed that my parents had Indian accents. So I didn't invite them to open house one year. And they were really pissed off. Like, they were really hurt by it. And I was like, we live in Texas. We're surrounded by racist white people. What did you expect me to behave like? Um, (laughs) You know, and that's not entirely true, but it was such an awkward experience for me as an eighth grader. And I'm curious, you know, why you think it is that, you know, despite the fact that we want to belong, um, we actually don't navigate multiple social groups. We just go and sort of stick to one. And we feel like we don't belong to so many others, mm. especially at that age. And I'm curious if maybe that's just age. 
that has a lot to do with it? I don't know. I don't know if, the, I mean, that's such a good, I love your questions. I don't know if I would put that with age because I know adults mm-hmm. that would, that would say that now, you know, I, yeah. I know that there's, that there's, you know, there's groups of people, there's, um, you know, there's, there's groups of people that I wouldn't necessarily resonate and want to spend all my time with. And it's not that there's anything wrong with those groups. It's just, I don't resonate as much. So I would, you know, still do fine in a social situation, but I wouldn't spend my, you know, I, I wouldn't spend all my time there. And so I think about like with kids, um, and I just have to say that, so I have a 16 year old as well. And I right now am the embarrassing mom <laughs> of the 16 year old. So I just, and as a mom, I totally get it and understand it. So wherever your parents were at with in terms of, you know, being um, hurt by yeah. your embarrassment of them, like they got it, they understood, they loved you anyway. Um, so, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think with the kids, I think it's just what is the most comfortable thing. I mean, I can't, if I look at my kids, my 16-year-old and my 11-year-old, um, and then my daughter, she resonates with the kids that like to do the things she, she likes to do. So she hangs out with the volleyball team. Um, my son, he has a couple of friends that are in wrestling, but then also are in a lot of the same um, courses together. They do a lot of like AP math and everything. He's super, super smart. So that's where they go. And I, I don't know if it's because they don't have time to hang out with the others or if it's just more comfortable or, and they're just more compelled together. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I, I didn't expect, I mean, it, it's a sort of out there question, so I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> expect that you would have an answer to it. But, you know, one of the things that intrigues me about talking to people like you is, you know, knowing the impact that your work has in a working environment in our adult lives. Um, I'm always curious why, people like you think that we don't teach these kinds of things in our education system, despite the fact that they are incredibly critical skills to navigating the real world. Oh gosh, no kidding. So, so, well, you know, here's one thing I just got as you were talking is, so part of the reason why I think that we hang out with different groups Mm -hmm. and different, you know, is because of our core value systems. So, you know, like whatever is most important to us in our internal value system, I think that we attract more people like that, people who share a purpose, I think that's a huge piece of why we do hang out with different people. So I just want to add that piece on. But this other thing around education and the younger kids. So one of the things I've been doing with this body of work is we've been sponsoring teachers to come and learn this body of work so that they can take this body of work back to the students. And now we're even looking at how do we bring this work, which which is called IEP, um, you know, intentional energetic presence. How do we bring this work back to the sixth graders and even the fifth graders so they can start playing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know why they don't. I think that the reason why it's not taught yet is just because they don't, they haven't put their attention on it. But I see, I see that that's changing because I see things changing, especially with the Montessori schools and everything. It feels like they're starting to get, become more and more aware of let's work with the kids around what their core values are. Let's work with the kids around how they're showing up and what they want to create. And, you know, my daughter's sixth grade teacher, she just did a thing with them. Um, she read my book and then she came in and she did a book report on my book, which was incredibly embarrassing for my daughter, but totally <laughs> awesome, you know, and she taught the kids about intention, you uh-huh. know, she taught the kids like, let's talk about intention and what do you want to have actually happen and your energy and how do you take care of yourself and then how do you show up? And so I think, you know, I think that stuff like this, the behaviors and, and, and why do people hang out with different people? Maybe this is not taught formally in school, but I am very optimistic that this is, as we continue to move forward, we're going to start seeing more and more of this kind of information being integrated in the school system. I hope. Yeah. Well, uh, so I want to spend a lot of time talking about the entire IEP model, but before we get there, um, yeah. I'm really curious uh, how you actually ended up doing this work. Like what has been the trajectory of your career and what have been the significant sort of um, inflection points and moments that actually led to this? 
Absolutely. So, okay, so my story goes all the way back to when I was 14 years old. I was working at Baskin Robbins. <laughs> Um, I had, uh, I, I had worked out a special deal. I wasn't, you weren't supposed to work until you were 15, but I had worked, we'd worked it out. So I was 14. I was working at Baskin Robbins. My parents went through a really, you know, they, they went through kind of a, a sad divorce and I was really upset. And one day I was scooping, um, I was scooping ice cream. I was scooping world-class chocolate and I used to walk to school or not walk to school I used to walk to Baskin Robbins it's about a two mile walk to and from and I can remember that day in particular I'd walked to the little shop um, I had my I was scooping my ice cream I was in a really really bad mood and when I was leaning into the freezer and I was scooping I was like this really really good little scooper um, all of a sudden it occurred to me I don't know where just divine intervention angels universe God whoever it just occurred to me like wait a minute I get to decide I get to decide if I'm going to be in a bad mood about this. I get to decide if I'm going to let this ruin my life or if I'm actually going to learn from it. And what is the kind of life I want to have? And this literally all happened so quickly as I scooped this ice cream. And when I came out of the freezer, I was, you know, for a very dramatic way of talking about it, I was a different person. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction to the idea of I get to decide how I show up. I get to decide if something wrecks me. I get to decide you know, what kind of life I want to have. I get to decide what I want to learn from this. It, that was my first, you know, introduction to decision and intention. And so that kind of started me on, on this trajectory of obsession around, well, how do people make things happen? You know, how do we create impact in our lives? How do we, you know, I, at the time, I didn't know I was thinking about leadership, but basically I was looking at leadership, you know, and all through high school, I really started to look at how do we make things happen as people? And then also I became really obsessed with self-care. So, you know, exercise and how you, what you eat and, you know, how does that impact your performance? And so I had this dual interest that was not totally clean and intentional. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that those were the two things that interested me the most. And by the time I got to college, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to study nutrition and the body. And I, you know, I started out, I got my degree in kinesiology, which is just basically the study of movement. And um, you know, did a lot of nutrition classes and decided I didn't want to do nutrition, but I loved the kinesiology piece, worked in that, worked with athletes for a long time, um, loved doing that, but realized the thing that I loved about working with athletes was not so much, you know, the taping the ankles. I don't know if you've ever taped an ankle, but, you know, you tape a couple hundred ankles and it's kind of like, <laughs> okay, I don't want to do this forever. Um, but it wasn't so much the, even the game as much as what I saw happen for them when they were taking really good care of themselves, when they felt good, um, when they were communicating well as a team, and when they went out on that field. Like if they took care of themselves and felt good and if their mind was in the right place, then they would go out and the winning was kind of the side effect. So, um, you know, I worked in kinesiology for a while. I got tired of doing that. I, I kind of felt like um, I didn't want to work with athletes forever as much as I enjoyed it, but I wanted to do something more. And so then I went and I worked in clinical exercise did a lot of work with patients in cardiac rehab who'd had these, who'd gone through these interventions. And um, I realized I was going to be really frustrated because so many people that um, were in our cardiac rehab programs, so much of their stuff would have been preventable if they'd had more information, more support, if they'd exercised more, if they'd taken, you know, if, if they'd had the information, especially the support, like in terms of relationships and groups and everything. And so I switched out of cardiac rehab and, um, you know, very, very long story short, went through a series of directing a, um, like a hiking retreat, you know, so we would go, we would take people for a week at a time, they'd come up to this retreat in California and 
they would hike and they'd eat well and we'd go on these walks and we'd talk about their lives and basically I was coaching at the time and just didn't even know that existed as a profession and um, did that, went and moved into corporate America, worked in health and productivity, worked with a lot of the business leaders in there working around, you know, how do we reduce your healthcare costs, how do we um, improve productivity in the organization and again, it came back to you know, self-care was an essential component. Their mindset was an essential component. And so the theme for me from when I was 14 all the way until that point working in that organization was I cared about people. I cared about the self-care. I cared about how they made things happen. The results that they got to me were actually the least interesting of all of it, you know, which, which I thought was, was kind of funny because it was like, well, I should care most about the results. <laughs> right. But I didn't. I just didn't. You know, it was like with the athletes and the games, like I still to this day – you know, struggle to explain some of the games that I used to help the athletes in, you know, and so um, it wasn't so much the results, even in the organizations, it was that people felt really great and that they were set up to perform at their very, very best. And so that was my obsession. And, um, and then I had my baby and I decided I would never work again. And I <laughs> took a year off of working. And one day I was sitting in my car and I was waiting for him to wake up from his nap. I was going to get a workout in. And I was sitting in the front seat of the car, and I looked back at him sleeping, and all of a sudden I get this yearning. It was about, he was about 13, 14 months old, and I get this yearning in my heart, and this this quiet voice in me that says, okay, it's time to start doing stuff again. Like, it's time to, to dive back into to your work again. And um, at that point, though, I, I really didn't want to leave him, and so I had to look at him and go, okay, well, what would be most valuable you know, what would be the best use of me that would warrant me leaving this amazing little human being where I could go and do other work but still be a really good mom and, you know, I had all these criteria for this. And so I sat there and I, in the front seat of the car, I had a pad of post-its and I started to map out all of the things that I had done in cardiac rehab, in kinesiology, with the athletes, in corporate America, at the hiking retreat. And I basically created a job. I went, okay, well, let's, let's, let's find this job. And then I realized, well, there really is no job like that. What if that was actually a company? And that's where I started my company and um, went home from the gym that day. I was totally excited. Woke up the next morning at like 5.30. It was like completely lit up. Like, okay, I got to start this thing. You know, laid it out on Post-its. I'm a big Post-it thinker. Laid it out on Post-its and went, okay, you know, here's what this could look like. Went and worked with my husband at the time and said, what do you think about this? And then very, very, very slowly and organically started this business and the first five years of it were me just, you know, literally working when my kids would nap, you know, and I would work with a couple clients or I'd write an article and I would just find time in the cracks. And what I found is that the more I did it, the more energy I had and then the better mom I was for them. And then in 2007, I started to realize there's really actually something special here. And we dug a little bit deeper and then we realized that there was actually methodology to it. And then we, I created the methodology or I say we, cause it was my team and everyone. And we created the methodology and voila, here Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here we are. Okay, so I do want to spend Very some time. Very long story. Yeah, well, well, we'll definitely talk about the methodology, and maybe this is a perfect segue into it. You know, one of the first things you said is I get to decide. Um, yeah. And I think that for me, I like, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I get that. I, I understand it intellectually. And then I look at moments in my life where I knew that and yet, you know, my emotions were far from what I wanted them to be. Yeah. Uh, my reactions were far from what I wanted them to be. And, and I'm, I'm curious why that is. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think only you could answer that. I know my experience of that and my experience of watching other human beings with it is that there's something bigger in you or something bigger in me that knows that it's not the right time to make that decision. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's either, it doesn't feel safe to make the decision. It's not your actual decision. You know, so a lot of times I see this with people who say they want to lose weight or they want to get healthier and they say, well, of course I'm, of course I'm doing this stuff. Of course I want this better relationship. Of course I want to get healthier, but it's not happening. And then they start to beat themselves up because that result that they're saying that they want, it's not actually happening. And if you really look at it, it's because they haven't truly made a full body. Yes. Decision to change that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think one of my best examples I can give of that was I worked with some business partners a couple of years ago and they had huge conflict in between them. And for three years, the entire team, the entire organization basically kind of worked around them. You know, like, oh, don't put them in the same meeting together. Okay, they're going to be in the meeting. we got to watch out for this, this, and this. So it costs the organization a lot of time, energy, and money. 
And the, these two, they went through mediation. Mm -hmm. They um, went to coffee. They sat down. They did like all these exercises to build their relationship. They gave each other feedback. They did everything. And very long story short, I was sitting with one of them one day and I asked her, have you truly decided, have you truly decided to have a really great relationship with this guy? And she goes, oh, of course I have. And she had this list of reasons of why she had decided. And the longer she went on to it, the more, um, uh, the weaker her explanation got. Uh -huh. And I said, well, no, I really want to know, like, have you truly decided? I want you to really think about that. And she stopped cold and she goes, no, I haven't. And the reason why she personally knew she hadn't was because as she was telling me her story, she was getting a lot of charge out of the fact, she was still getting a charge out of the fact that this guy was so hard to work with. And so that kind of fed some of her, you know, people would go, oh God, I know how hard you're, 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 you know, we really see how hard you're trying to get along with him better. And so she was, she was getting a little bit of her, you know, inside hero, a little bit of martyr, you know, fix from it. Uh -huh. And then the other thing was that she was just constantly gathering evidence of why he was so difficult to work with. So even though she said she decided, she hadn't truly heartfully decided it. And what was really interesting about that is that after that conversation, she went back and she said, okay, I'm going to have a great relationship with this guy no matter what. And so what that created, she never even had to tell him, but what that created was that he or she would look for different things in him. So she now looked to, to gather evidence that he was actually great to work with or decent to work with. She started to look to gather evidence that, um, you know, to catch him doing things well. She started to catch herself looking for, you know, negative evidence against him and then she would stop it cold. And what ended up happening was he didn't know what happened, but he felt the shift in her energy and then that he started to respond to her differently. And now they're not best friends now, but they're still partners and it's a lot easier. Uh -huh. So there, there's an example of decision. Wow. Well, let's do this. Um, yeah. Let's do a deep dive into the entire model because I am sure. so curious about it. That was actually the thing that, you know, you'd asked me what caught my attention and that was definitely it. So let, let's do a deep dive into the model for people and, and talk about sort of, you know, what the model is and how it applies in their lives. Sure. Absolutely. So, okay. So the model is, is it's the IEP model and IEP stands for intentional energetic presence. And to me, I look at intentional energetic presence in two ways. I look at IEP in two ways. One is, you know, truly how it sounds. It's the, the, how you walk into a room. It's the energy and the presence that you bring into any conversation, any room, any, any situation, even sitting down quietly to do my taxes by myself. There is an intentional energetic presence I can bring to that activity. So one side of it is just literally your intentional energetic presence and how you're showing up and be intentional about that. And then the other way that I look at it is I break those three things down. So I go intention, which is what I want to have happen and being clear about that. There's the energy, which is how I take care of myself, the energy I bring into the room, um, you know, how I am nourishing myself. So I have the energy and the stamina to keep doing what I need to do in this world or what I want to do in this world. And then there's the presence, which is, I look at presence really holistically. It's, you know, my leadership presence, it's stage presence. It's how present am I in this moment with this human being? How present am I to the truth of my life? You know, not what everybody else thinks, but truly what's true for me. So, you know, when you look at it that way, you've got, you've got two different ways you can look at it, two different ways you can break it down. So one is how do you show up? And then the second thing is how do you create the container for showing up well? Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, let's talk about each one um, in more detail. Let's talk first about intention and, and how you set it and how we would bring that into our day-to-day -day work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, one piece I'd love to just add here before we dig into that is yeah. just this idea that, so one of the things that I noticed when I first started doing this work 
and, you know, and as you heard, like, there, was an, there was an evolution from the kinesiology and working with people in their body, um, you know, all the way to, to where it's at now, where it's a full-on leadership and collaboration model. So one of the things that I noticed was that nine out of 10 of the business leaders that came to me for support that said that they wanted leadership development, um, if I taught them the leadership skills and the leadership development, if we didn't address their intention, their energy, and their presence, and how they were showing up, if we didn't address that, it didn't matter how brilliant their skills were or how brilliant they were at their craft or whatever if their IEP wasn't great. Because what would end up happening is they'd be really good at it, but they their energy and their presence would leave people feeling not great or it would leave them feeling burnout. Um, and so I just I want to add that piece to it is that when we started to really play with the, the, the idea around making sure that your IEP is in alignment uh-huh. before you even worry about your skills and your craft and everything. We saved a ton of time and energy and then people were able to show up more authentically in those skills. So, you know, there's a, a thing in the book called the leadership trifecta and there was, there was three different kinds of leaders that would come to us. And one was the leader who, and, and I'm sure everybody in your audience can relate to these. Like one is the leader who their impact is phenomenal. They're great at their design. They're great at their craft. They're great at making money. They might be like one of the top money makers in the company. Impact is great. They get great results, but they were totally burnt out. You know, they were, they're exhausted. Their health is falling apart. Maybe their personal relationships aren't doing that great. Um, they're working a lot. It just, you know, there might be a little bit of resentment starting to build. So that's impact, but it's without self care and that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Then I found that there were leaders that would come who, they had the self-care piece down beautifully. You know, their chakras are all in alignment. They're eating whole <laughs> foods every day. You know, they go to yoga. They work nine to five. You know, people love being with them. They've got great relationships. However, they were not great at creating impact or getting the results. So they had self-care, but they didn't have the impact piece down. And then the third type of leader was somebody who awesome at creating results, great self-care. However, they left dead bodies everywhere they went. You know, <laughs> right? So, so they got the results and they took care of themselves, but it was at the expense of their team. So it, worst case scenario, dead bodies, high turnover in a company, you know, this is the kind of leader who people are following because they have to versus they want to. Um, that's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario was just, they weren't as good at meeting people where they were at. So they couldn't, they didn't have as much impact. Um, and so if you look at those three things, you look at, you know, your actual impact, you know, your impact, your people and your self care what I found is you've got to have your attention on all three of those. It doesn't have to be perfect, sure. but you want to be aware of it so that you're continuing to up level in each area. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. let's talk about how we actually get all of those in balance. Um, like first, I guess let's start with intention and impact. I mean, how do mm-hmm. you get that in balance? Great. So when you look at the, when you look at the model, the, the, the place where I, where the place, the first place I go to get that stuff in balance is it always starts with me. Um, there's a way that we can tend to look at the rest of the world and kind of point our finger out and go, well, if this person was better, if this, if the company was better, if the team was better, whatever, then it would be much easier. Um, but you know that that saying like when you have one finger pointed out at other people, you have three fingers pointed back at you. So if I've got the three fingers pointed back at me, that means that there's something that I can do to get even clearer to have more intentional impact, but it's got to start with me. So the first thing that I always look at is how am I personally showing up? Um, what is the intention that I want to have happen here? And am I in alignment with myself? So in, in the center of the model, there's a thing called the essential you and the essential you is all about our core values, 
you know, and I'll use myself, like my core values, my purpose, why I get out of bed in the morning, like what is it that has me get out of bed every single day? What is it that has me do the work that I do in this world? Um, being really clear on that, being clear on my personal values, and then being clear that I have my own personal space and I'm responsible for how I show up. I find that that is kind of home base for, you know, it's home base and it's also an accelerator for being able to create intention and impact more easily. Mm-hmm. And what about the self-care piece? Well, the self-care, oh, guess go on. Go on. No, no, that, that, that's really the question is, is how do you, how do you, I mean, there's, there's so much, you know, advice about this from ketogenic diets to bulletproof diets to, you know, uh, all the new age people with their crystals and candles. And, you know, I, I'm <laughs> like, I'm really curious from your perspective, you know, what have you found has been effective? Yeah. So for me, the self, I always joke around that I'm, my business started not because I wanted to be in leadership, but because I wanted people to take better care of themselves so that they could have more impact. Uh-huh. Like, like literally, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I just had this conversation with a company last week. Um, because to me, if the self care piece is not handled, then what's the point? Yeah. You know, if we're all running around creating a bunch of impact, but we're burnt out and we're dying and exhausted and our relationships are flying, like, what's the point? And so, but then at the same time, you know, if my self care is fantastic, my relationships are great, but I'm not contributing positive to the rest of the world, then that's not interesting to me either. So, you know, for me personally, when I look at that self care piece, um, the, the, the first part of this methodology is really that the model is looking at that essential you, which we just talked about. The second layer out is looking at your energy and your presence, which is where your self care is. So for me, self care is not so much if you're going to do bulletproof or keto or, you know, vegan or whatever. It's more about really, really, really listening to yourself and giving yourself the space and grace to start noticing what does your body need? Are you creating space in your life for nourishment? Are you creating little windows of downtime? Are you allowing yourself breath? You know, um, I, I've never been one to tell people, well, you got to cut gluten and you got to do this and you got to do no sugar. And you got, I mean, I personally know what works for me, but that's because I have listened and I've spent years and years of really paying attention to like what, where my body functions best. Mm-hmm. But I think that everybody is so different that I would never prescribe how to do self-care for them more as much as I would just say, How's your physical environment supporting you? You know, when you walk into your house, when you get in your car, does your energy expand and feel amazing or do you find yourself contract? When you sit down at your desk, do, do you feel open and joyful or do you feel completely overwhelmed and exhausted? When you sit down to have dinner with your kids or with your family, like what is the energy there? So that to me is a huge part of self-care is looking at, you know, not only your food and your exercise and your sleep and all the traditional things we put down, sure. but also who do you surround yourself with? How does your environment feel? Like, what are you doing to set yourself up for success every single day so you can be the best instrument of change possible? So I want to talk about uh, the downtime piece as well as um, what you call creating space. One, mm-hmm. you know, what do you mean by creating space and, and how do we do it? Um, I, I mean, I think I have, have my ideas. And what is the impact of downtime on our creative capacities, our ability to show up and be more present and everything else in our lives? Like, in our, what's the impact of downtime on our results, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I, I think that, so what I have found and what I've personally experienced over and over again is that when I give myself the gift of some downtime and some space, and, and when, I, when I say space, I'm just talking about anything as simple as stopping in this moment and allowing myself to breathe <laughs> and remembering 
that I have my own personal space. Just getting back into, you know, it sounds really airy, but it's like getting back into my body, getting back present into my body. If I, I have my own space here, when I give myself even that moment of space, it's an, it's an almost like an automatic reboot. Um, and so there's, there's one, like, that's the simplest thing. I also look at space as, you know, um, can you carve out an hour of time a day for what I call conscious disengagement time? So it's not, I carve out an hour, I go open a bottle of wine, sit down, <laughs> watch TV and eat bonbons. Um, it's, it's more, it's conscious disengagement time. So I might carve out that hour, go sit on my couch and read a book, journal, lay there and take a nap. I might go and sit and watch cartoons with my daughter, but it is with it's there's with consciousness in it. I'm not just checking out. I'm consciously giving myself a little bit of a reboot. Um, so that's another way I look at creating space. And then there's, you know, the bigger creating space where it's, can you take a half a day for yourself a month or a day a month and have that white space where you've got nothing to do except for just to think and be with yourself. You know, so that's, that, that's, that's one of the things with space. And, and you said like, what is the impact on our productivity or our creativity with downtime? I, I think, you know, the, the saying, like, if you have time to meditate for, if you have time to meditate, meditate for an hour. If you don't have time to meditate, meditate for eight or something. I'm completely <laughs> yeah. butchering it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it, to me, it's the same thing with the downtime. If you feel like you don't have time for downtime, that actually is the time when you probably need it the very most. And, you know, personally, I find that if I am feeling pinched for time and I'm feeling overwhelmed in that moment, when I least want to take the downtime, that is a time for me to go, okay, uncle, check out, go into a reboot, give myself an hour or an afternoon or whatever. And when I come back the next day, whatever it was, it was so overwhelming. It is no longer as overwhelming. And it's probably going to take me about a quarter of the time that I thought it was going to take me. Hmm. I think it just gives us a lot of perspective and air breath. Yeah. What, um, what is your research showing about our use of technology in relation to this? Um, it's something that I'm thinking a lot about because I, it's, it's a section that I've been working on in my upcoming book. And, and, you know, I, I've had this habit lately of turning off my phone for a couple of hours at night and I'm finding mm -hmm. that I wake up in a very different sort of state of mind. Like after seven o'clock, if I turn my phone off, like I sit down to write and I'm like, wow, I'm like I'm getting into flow and getting much more focused way more easily. Gosh, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So, um, you know, it's funny. My so I'm I, this is a hot topic for me right now in my house because with two young kids. <laughs> I bet. Um, I mean, no, it's really so. So my son is 16. So before, so he did not get a smartphone until he was 12. Okay, he did not get a smartphone until he was 12, 13 years old. That kid read books all the time. I could not pull. A, I could not pull his nose out of the books, and his sister got her phone when she was eight. Um, and I have to almost bribe her to read a book. It's really interesting. So my son and I were talking about this the other day and I said, honey, what do you think the difference is? And he goes, well, mom, it's really simple. You know, you gave, uh, you gave her a smartphone too early. So now she's constantly that her brain has been rewired. So she can't digest books the same way that I used to digest. And there's like so many other things that are distracting her. So that, that is the thinking of my sophomore and high school son, which, um, which, which I think actually makes a lot of sense. So, um, for me personally, okay, so, so technology on a couple different realms, like when I look, when I work with clients, when I'm working with them in organizations, you know, it, it's, there's nothing more aggravating, I think, than being in a meeting and everybody's got their, you know, their, their attention is halfway on their phone and their attention is halfway in whatever's happening in the room. And so 
we've really been playing with, you know, like the traditional stuff that I'm sure you've seen a million times, but you know, everyone puts their phones away. They have agreements, they create agreements as an organization or as a team of how do we want to be with technology so we can get more out of each other. And so there's different agreements they can create around that. For me personally, I've been doing this experiment lately where I used to wake up, I'd get my phone, I would automatically look at my phone first thing in the morning and it would, it would wreck, it would, it would like really shake up my morning, not in, not in a good way. So what I do now is I turn that phone off and um, in the morning I don't allow myself to look at the phone or do anything on the phone until I am up, worked out, showered, and ready to go. And that completely has changed the way my whole day goes in terms of being able to be intentional, being able to set the tone, um, all of that. Wow. I, I find it really helpful. It, it doesn't, I mean... It's, it's tricky. You know, my, my kids, I have um, my ex and I share we seven, seven. So there's kind of this joke, like as a mom, you never get to turn off your phone fully again because uh-huh. you have to like always be prepared for them. But when I have them with me in the house, that phone goes off. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the, the presence piece. And I guess the, the thing that I'm very curious about is the relationship between present charisma and communication. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, what impact does presence have on this and how do we cultivate more of it so that we are more charismatic um, and persuasive and impactful in our communication? Oh, that's such a good question. So, so the way I look at it, so when you look at, when you look at the IEP method, there's three parts to it. The first thing is your ability to reboot your presence in the moment with what, no, no matter what's going on. So it's just, this is something that's happening all the time. So rebooting your presence right now. Um, so even right now, just for you and I, let's just say one of us kind of check out, or I've got to regroup to think about that question. And I find myself going into my head to find the answer. I still have to reboot, come back, and then be fully present with you again. So that that part of presence, like being able to be present in the moment, is happening over and over and over again. And I find that the more you practice it, it's like a muscle, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So first part is rebooting your presence. The second part is the ability to create intentional impact, which which is a huge piece, and I'm happy to give you the framework on it if it's helpful on this yeah, call. But absolutely. you know that that it's a five piece framework, and so the idea is that we're always creating impact. If I go out on stage on this, you know, our interaction here, if I'm working with my team, if I'm working with my kids, if I'm having a conversation with my partner, there I'm always creating impact, and the impact is either going to move us forward and be positive, or it's going to uh, maybe move us back, make a little bit more of a mess. Or it's going to be just kind of beige, which who wants beige? I mean, sometimes beige is great, but, you know, I'd rather be creating impact that's joyful and life-giving and forward-moving. So so there's that. And so you can use this five-step framework to actually get really intentional about how you're showing up and then what is the communication that's happening on the other side. And then the third piece of that methodology is just the ability to build a strong energetic foundation, which is what you and I have been talking about just around self-care and, you know, being intentional about relationships and how you show up and everything. Hmm. So, you know, so if you look at, you know, your question around how with charisma and presence and, and, and how do you, how do you do that? I, I look at it in two ways is one is how am I showing up for myself? So if I am showing up well for myself, meaning I'm giving myself space to breathe, I'm taking care of myself, I'm honoring my values, I'm being my word with myself. If I'm doing that automatically, my level of presence and intention and the energy I bring to anything I do it's going to be, it's so much stronger and it's so much clearer and people will respond to that. So every, everybody listening to this can relate to somebody who, you know, 
you're, you're talking with somebody in conversation and you can feel their incongruency or you can feel their exhaustion. And it's just not as compelling. Like it's just not that you feel something, even if you really like them, you want to work with them, you're having fun with them. Like it, do, it doesn't even matter your personal preference around them. You can feel a leader who is strong and present and, 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 you know, in alignment with themselves, even if that person is having a bad day, even if they're in a bad mood, even if they're going through the worst time of their lives, you can still feel that internal alignment um, or not. So there, there's the showing up for ourselves. So the more we can show up for ourselves and really set ourselves up strongly, the easier it's going to be for us to show up for others. So then the showing up for others now comes to that external presence. And what am I projecting out into the world? You know, and how present, you know, what's the kind of container I can create for you? What's the kind of container I can create for my team, for my kids in the way that I show up and am present with them and what I'm projecting. And what I find is that those two things, you can't pull them apart. It's I've got to show up for myself and I got to show up for the rest of the world at the same time. I'm curious, I, you know, it, it's, I, I realize it's a really strange question considering, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, in our call that you weren't concerned with the results, but I'm curious what the results have been in people's lives as a result of this work. Or- oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So good. Thanks for bringing that up. So I want to be clear. <laughs> it's not that I don't care about the results. Yeah. I do. I care. I, I do care about the results. I want to clean that up a little yeah. bit. What, what I care more about is that every human being... <laughs> As many as, as many as I can reach at least, or that we can all reach, right? Because it takes a village, it takes all of us to do this. What I care about is that every human being feels good and then takes that energy and that feel good and pays it forward some way positively in their world, whatever that means, whether that's leading an organization, they're in military, they're an artist, they're a teacher, they're, they're they stay at home with their kids, they're a janitor. It doesn't matter to me. It's, it's the, the results happen because it's a it's a side effect of in my belief taking care of yourself and being intentional about the impact you're creating so i care very much about the results but i care more about how do you show up for yourself and how do you show up for other people because when that's handled your results happen um so does that does that help kind of yeah that, that, up a that does bit? I, and i'm you know uh, i'm curious what have been the results uh, that you've seen in some people's lives and in their businesses as a result oh, of this? absolutely absolutely so we um so there's we do this work with organizations and we also do this with individuals. So with organizations, the results have been around, um, enhancing collaboration, uh, opening up more human discussions. Um, I've done a lot of work with design firms and, um, law enforcement and I mean like a bunch of education, like a ton of different industries, but the results are, it doesn't matter what the industry is or who the person is or what the level in the company they're at. The result is it brings more authenticity to the table. So, um, more collaboration, less lost time. I mean, we can sit down and map out what it would cost. You know, the, the cost of negative energy in an organization is very expensive. We're spending billions. I mean, I don't know the exact amount of money we're spending on it, but we could sit down and we could take a team of eight people. We can look at what they bill out at. We can look at the opportunity cost, and we can figure out if you've got two people on that team that do not have good IEP, that are not positive contributors to the team, but they're actually sucking the life out of the team, we can actually start to look at that from a financial standpoint and go, okay, wow, this is what this is costing us, uh, usually conservatively. What do we want to do to shift that so we can help bring those two people up um, so we have a more productive team? So I would say productivity would be a result. Um, to me, the, the results that are most interesting because they, uh, I think that they ripple and they pay for it everywhere is this idea around how do you bring more of your full self to the table? 
um, and let that be not only okay, but celebrated. Mm -hmm. And how do you then from that place allow for more creativity and more connection and a better culture? So we've, we've also had people redesign marriages. We've had people, you know, um, we, we, I just led a session in Boston a couple weeks ago. And, um, after the session, one of the, one of the women that was in the room that she'd had a falling out with somebody three years before. And she really looking at, well, how was she showing up in that relationship? You know, she was able to call up that relationship and then, you know, clean it up on the way home from the session, just saying, wow, I realized like how I showed up, here were the assumptions I was making, here was where I didn't communicate well, here was where my energy was really crappy, you know, can we, can we look at this? And so lot, lots and lots of different, different pieces. People have lost, we just had somebody lose like 40 pounds last week. I mean, not in the week, but it, it just depends. I mean, here's the, here's the thing with the results is it depends on what that person wants. And what I find is that when somebody is truly in alignment with themselves and what they're trying to create in this world, the results that need to be created happen. So the person that lost the 40 pounds, she didn't seek out, she didn't set out to lose the 40 pounds. She actually set out to take better care of herself, to give herself more personal nourishment with her family and also her business. She's the CEO of her company. And she set out to do that. And then because she was focusing, well, how do I show up? How does what I eat? How does that support me? How does the energy that I'm bringing into the room, like how does that affect my team? Because she was focused there, she started to make different decisions around how she took care of her body. And then voila, there's the 40 pounds. It's kind of a side effect of the original result, which was, you know, I want to show up better for my team and my family. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. Um, and you've packed it with so many valuable insights. Uh, you know, to me, one of those conversations that I'll probably have to replay multiple times to get everything I can out of it. So I have one last question, which I know you've heard me ask, um, and how we finish yeah. all our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it is, I think it's a combination of three things. I think it's their heart. The, um, if you can feel their heart in whatever they're doing, I think that's one piece. I think it's their self-knowledge, you know, their just their ability to be in their own skin um, and to really hold presence and stand in their truth. And then the third thing I think is their the quality of the space they can hold for another human being. You know, how do they show up for another human being? What's the quality of space they can hold with their presence just because they're there with that person? I think that's what makes them unmistakable. Hmm. Well, uh, I think that makes a really fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, they can find me at anisecavanaugh.com and they can also get different tools and resources and, and all sorts of stuff at iep.io. That's a really easy website for you guys. <laughs> awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that, and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.